As some of you know, when I was a child, I had two significant speech impediments. I had a lisp, and I couldn't wrap my lips around the letter R. Bad lisp, no R. Think about that, what that meant to a kid named Bruce. I couldn't even pronounce my own name. It came out, Booth. And to fix that problem, I was in speech therapy until the sixth grade. But because of my speech problems, I was on the receiving end of a lot of teasing during grade school. And some of that teasing was actually rather cruel. I vividly remember one time out on the playground, a group of kids gathering around me, jumping and dancing and hollering and just screaming at me, Booth, Booth, Booth. Didn't feel very good. I didn't like it very much. But how did I respond? Well, in a perfect world, I would have said to myself, you know, I don't want anyone ever to feel like I do, so I won't treat other, other people the way I'm being treated. I would have learned from my experience and become more kind and gracious to others. But that's not actually what happened. You see, I reacted to my own pain by looking for other people to victimize. If I was going to be hurt, then I wanted other people to be hurt. And I found a great target. We had a kid in our class named Kent, and he was extremely overweight. He wore very thick glasses, and guess what? He also had a speech impediment. And so instead of being supportive and encouraging, when my classmates would tease him, I eagerly joined in. Teasing him ensured that no one was teasing me. I have to say that I look back on that behavior with a lot of regret. And I also think about those experiences when people tell me that human beings are instinctively kind and virtuous. <laughs> when people tell me that, I say, really? Don't you remember what it was like to grow up? Did you ever spend any time on a school playground? And yes, kids sometimes can be amazingly kind. They also can be cruel. It's an unfortunate fact that treating other people in a kind and loving way does not always come naturally. A lot of love must be learned. And yet, we don't always learn to love well. We don't always learn how to love consistently. And we grow up and we become adults. And there are times when we all still behave in a very childish way toward other people. And yes, at our best, we can engage in acts of overwhelming graciousness and generosity and sacrifice. Yet, we also can taunt and lie, and ridicule, and gossip. We can be very cruel to one another. How do we best overcome this? We overcome it by learning from Jesus. We learn it from Jesus because he tells us how to love. 
Whenever he teaches and whenever he engages in conversation, he looks for opportunities to talk about love. And on one particular day in his ministry, he does this in a very distinctive way when he's approached by a wise teacher of the Jewish law. A teacher who asks him a question about commandments. And Jesus responds by describing a lifestyle of love. A lifestyle that transforms us as we make the choice to immerse ourselves in the love of God. Let's take a look at this conversation. It's recorded for us in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This teacher of the Jewish law, also known as a scribe, he wants to know about commandments. And specifically, he wants to be able to prioritize them. He wants to prioritize the rules for godly behavior. And it's fascinating that in response, Jesus doesn't give him a specific rule. Jesus describes a comprehensive lifestyle. Jesus urges this man to love God totally with his whole being without holding anything back. He's inviting him to immerse himself in the love of God. And to get a handle on this, let's, let's picture for a moment what it's like to soak in a hot tub. We lower our body down and we immerse ourselves in the hot water. And the heat starts to slowly seep into us. And we start to feel relaxed. And the tension in our muscles fades away. And the anxieties and the tension of the day fades away. It's a peaceful experience. It's comfortable. It's refreshing and renewing to be surrounded by this cocoon of warm water. Now picture ourselves being immersed in the love of God. And we do this by spending time in prayer or reading the Bible or fasting or worshiping. And as we do, we invite the Holy Spirit to let God's presence seep into our minds and our hearts and our lives. And the more that we actually spend time in God's presence, the more we're going to be embraced by his love. And to paraphrase Jesus, God's love is going to then soak into and shape our emotions, our thoughts, our decisions, and our willingness to trust him and to live by faith. What Jesus is giving us here is not a lifestyle driven by rules and commandments. It's a lifestyle where we immerse ourselves in the cocoon of God's warm and comforting and refreshing love. And that's what Jesus invites everyone to do in response to this question from this scribe. Yet there's a story behind this story. If we look earlier in the passage, we discover that Jesus has been debating some other religious leaders. 
And those guys are not debating honorably. They're trying to trap Jesus with a trick question. The scribe wanders over to listen. He sees Jesus handle those guys in a masterful way. He's impressed. So he decides to ask his own question about one of the most vital issues of the day for any religious Jew. Which commandment is the most important one of all? You see, this man is a teacher. He, he explains God's law in the synagogue and he knows that the average Jew is overwhelmed by the number and complexity of religious laws that they must follow. So good teachers like to try to spell out God's number one priority. If average men and women can't get all of God's laws right, then hopefully they'll at least get the top one right. And so if Jesus gives the scribe a good answer, then he'll be more helpful to the people that he teaches. So we need to understand that this is a very sincere question, but it's not the right question to ask. The right question is not which commandment, which rule should I make the most effort to follow. The right question is what kind of person should I be? And Jesus urges him to be the kind of person who soaks himself in the love of God. To be the kind of person who lets God's love fill his heart and soul and mind and strength. To be overwhelmed by and changed by the love of God. And yet there's more to be said about love. Because God's love never is simply for us alone. And you see, the more we immerse ourselves in God's love, the better we can reflect God's love to others. And that's what Jesus talks about next. Verse 31, Jesus says, The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So he links these two ideas of loving God and loving others. And we need to understand that in the Bible, the word neighbor refers to all people not just the folks who happen to live next door down the block. In other words, it's a very broad statement. It includes people who are like us and people who are not like us. It includes people we know and people who are strangers. It includes people we like and people we dislike. And God equips us to love all of those kinds of people when we immerse ourselves in his love. So we let the love of God soak into us. And we then can reflect that love toward the other people that cross our path. Think about the power of reflection. Go out some night when it's clear and look up at the full moon. Oh my, is it bright. And yet we all know that none of that light comes from the moon. It's reflected from the sun. And in the same way, you and I don't have to generate love for others all on our own. We can brightly reflect God's love to the people around us. We do that by immersing ourselves in God's love. And Jesus says we then can reflect God's love to others. And the way we do that 
is by loving others the way we love ourselves. That's the standard. That's the benchmark. Now, that sounds really good. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But how do we actually put it into practice? And you see, this is where the life of faith gets challenging because sometimes God gives us broad principles like this one that require us to exercise some judgment. Looking at what Jesus says here, it's not immediately clear how we should specifically love different kinds of people in different kinds of situations. There's some ambiguity here. There's some lack of clarity. And because of that, that's why we often prefer clear-cut rules, very specific commandments. And here's what often happens. If God doesn't give us a clear-cut rule, we then make them up on our own. I've encountered all kinds of churches that made up behavioral rules, which you can't find anywhere in the Bible. Churches do this sometimes because they're uncomfortable with ambiguity. And they're uncomfortable letting people exercise their own judgment. The Jewish people battle that tendency all the time. For example, God gave them a very simple, clear commandment. Keep the Sabbath day holy and don't do any work on the Sabbath. But what about the specifics? What about the rabbi who teaches in the synagogue on the Sabbath? What about the doctor who feels compelled to make a house call on the Sabbath? What about the shepherd whose sheep wanders off and needs to be rescued on the Sabbath? We either let people figure this out on their own, based on their own connection with God, or we start writing down rules and regulations to define every possible situation and every possible exception to the rules. And that's what the Jewish people did. And they added so much baggage to God's law. And here's the real problem with that. When we do that, then nobody has to think and nobody has to pray and nobody has to discern how to honor God. In fact, in the worst case, you don't even have to know God. You can just follow the religious rules. And we face that same challenge here. Jesus says, reflect God's love to others. Yet the best way to love another person in any given situation is not always clear. See, Jesus gives us a principle, not a rule. So how do we live it out? Well, let's consider some real life examples. We have a huge issue in our community called the homeless, the people who live on the streets. What do we do in response? We can choose to ignore them, but that's not very loving. We can mock them or complain about them, but that's not very loving. But we don't have a specific homeless commandment. That means you've got to pray and ponder and think and discern. We need to say, God, give me some wisdom. I might need to talk to some other people who've dealt more with the homeless than I have and get some insights from them. We might actually have to invest some time to solve some root problems that actually help people move out of their life situation because it is a complex issue. 
I have to tell you that for many years, my instincts were to ignore and neglect and criticize the homeless. And yet as I have wrestled with the implications of what Jesus says here in the book of Mark, and as I have spent more and more time immersing myself in the love of God, it has become ever easier to respond to homeless people with some graciousness. To take the time to discern how I can treat them with love. And to believe that God will prompt me to do different things in different situations if I'm listening. And so yes, there might be a homeless person on the corner that I drive by. But there are times when I encounter a homeless person and after conversing with them, I might give them a few bucks. Sometimes I have them get in my car and I give them a ride to where they need to go. Sometimes I take them to the store and buy them some food. Sometimes I just listen to them and hear their story and pray with them. A couple of times I bought them a bus ticket because they were on their way to somewhere and they needed to get out of town. And why do I do these things? I do them because these men and women are my neighbors. They're our neighbors. And I believe that with God's help, I can figure out how to love my neighbors on a case-by-case basis. I can learn how to love them as I would want to be loved if I were in their shoes. That's what Jesus invites all of us to do. With the homeless and with all other kinds of people that he brings into our lives. Now, homelessness is a big and complex issue, so let's bring this down to a more personal level and talk about something as routine and ordinary as gossip. How would you feel if you knew that people in your office or your neighborhood or here in this church or in your school were all talking about you and running you down behind your back? I think you'd probably hate it. I know I wouldn't like it. It happens, though. We don't like it if it's done to us, so why do we do it to other people? Yet we do. How about this example? Do you have a deeply held belief about something, whether it's about faith, about politics, or whatever, And then someone disagrees with that deeply held belief by mocking you and ridiculing you and calling you names rather than engaging in a respectful conversation. None of us likes being on the receiving end of that. Why then do we turn around and do that to other people? You see, far too often we act and react out of emotion. We act and react out of animosity rather than take the time to pray and discern how we can reflect God's incredible love to other people. And the more time that I spend soaking in God's love, the more sensitized I get to this stuff in my own life. And I become more and more aware of times when I am doing it wrong. And when I see myself lashing out, 
I realize the cure is to spend more time soaking in the love of God. Because that's what will change my heart. And that's what will equip me to reflect God's love to other people. Now, whenever I talk about loving others, someone usually asks, well, what about an enemy? What do we do with an enemy? Well, first of all, I think we need to be very careful, very careful about labeling another human being made in the image of God as an enemy. And if we do have an enemy, Jesus tells us how to respond. It's very clear. He spells it out in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. He says to love our enemies. Pray for our enemies. It's not our instinctive response, but that's what Jesus urges us to do. And again, it's based on this principle here. I hope that I don't have enemies, but if I do, I would much rather have them praying for me than gossiping about me or slandering me or attacking me. That's how I want to be loved. So that's how Jesus urges me to reflect God's love even to someone that I might think is my enemy. None of this comes easily. None of it comes automatically. But it can happen when we make that foundational decision to immerse ourselves in God's love. And the more we immerse ourselves in God's love, the more naturally we will reflect God's love to others. That's what Jesus wants to see in his people. That's what he spells out here to this scribe and all the people around that scribe. And yet even as we read these words, we need to recognize that Jesus is addressing a commandment-driven, rule-driven audience. His comment doesn't fit into their expectations. So it's fair to ask, how will this scribe respond? What's going to happen next after Jesus issues this radical invitation to move beyond rules and embrace a lifestyle of love? Look what happens next. Verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. And to love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, and with all of your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And listen to this next part. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This scribe is moved by what Jesus has said. And he's so moved that he barely can contain himself. And sometimes, sometimes our literal translations in the Bible don't capture all the emotion. This phrase, well said teacher, just sounds bland. But there's emotion that comes out of the original biblical text. It's almost as if he's saying, Oh, Rabbi, what a beautiful answer! And so he embraces that beautiful answer from Jesus. 
And then he gives his own beautiful answer in return. He knows that burnt offerings and sacrifices are at the heart of the Jewish law. And yet the scribe understands that if those things are divorced from the love of God, then they're empty religious rituals. What he is saying to Jesus in essence is this. I recognize that I can't go to the temple and offer my sacrifice as a sign of my devotion to God. I can't give a burnt offering and ask God to love me and forgive me and then go out and be unloving and unforgiving toward others. And in the same way, you and I can't come to church and pray and sing and take communion participate in worship as this sign of devotion to God and then leave and mistreat other people. If that happens, it means we're not immersing ourselves in God's love. We're just going through the motions. We're engaging in religious rituals rather than having an encounter with the God of love. Love always should be front and center whether we're spending time with God or spending time with others. Love is more important than religion, than ritual, than tradition, than rules. Or as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is even more important than using our spiritual gifts. Love. God's love is more important than anything. And because the scribe grasps this vital point, Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He is telling him your life's headed in the right direction. Keep going because you grasp the overarching importance of the love of God. Jesus wants this teacher to keep pressing on, to keep pursuing and embracing and expressing God's love. And pressing on in love is how we press on toward the kingdom of God. And we never can lose sight of God's kingdom. Everyone who is rescued by God from sin becomes a citizen in his kingdom. And based on what Jesus says here, God wants all of his kingdom citizens to be immersed in his love and to continually be transformed by his love. And that's because as we reflect God's love, the world is transformed through us. As we pursue the kingdom, we help other people experience the reality of the kingdom of God. And we do it through love. So the crowd there around Jesus... They've listened to this exchange with the scribe and they hear Jesus affirm this scribe. And then they hear Jesus urge this scribe to keep on pressing toward the kingdom of love. And it's overwhelming to them. It is such an amazing and revolutionary idea that it shuts them up. At least in this moment, there are no more questions to ask. There's nothing more to say. They simply are left with an awesome invitation. An invitation to press on toward God's kingdom. 
the only kingdom with love at its core. Our mission as a church is to know him, to love him, to share him. Embracing our God-given mission begins with each of us as individuals when we make a commitment to get connected to Jesus and to press on in a life where we're committed to knowing him better and better. And the better that we know Jesus, the more we experience God's love. The more we soak in his love, the more his love reshapes us. And then the more we reflect his love to the people around us. As you and I do that in the midst of our daily lives, we share in the mission of our church. As I said last week, I sometimes like to imagine that the people teaching us in the Bible are present with us here in our services. So I imagine, find myself wondering, what would it be like if Jesus was here today? Jesus came up and walked up here on the platform and wanted to say something to us after we've spent this time digging into his comments about love. What would Jesus offer to encourage us and challenge us? I think he might say something like this. Garden Way Church, keep pressing on. Immerse yourselves in my love and embrace it with every fiber of your being. Be refreshed and renewed and comforted in my love. Then reflect my love to the people all around you. Press on toward my kingdom and let this broken world get a taste of my kingdom through you. That can happen. That will happen. When you take the time to soak in my love.